Our scripture today comes from Revelation chapter 5. Um, it can be found on page 1918 on your pew Bibles, towards the end of the book. <laughs> um, I think I'm actually going to start at verse 1 because it's only for 14 verses, um, so I'll start. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased people for God, from every tribe and language and nation and people. And you have made them to be a kingdom of, and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering ten, thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. We're finishing up a series here on, at DCOB on Revelation 4 and 5. In our first week we ta- in Revelation 4, we talked about how the people who are first reading this book faced a lot of persecution. Many of them lost their lives because an emperor named Domitian, uh, who wanted everyone to give sacrifices to him and to call him Lord and God, We talked about how God alone is deserving of that title, and that he is the one who is really in charge. And that's a huge comfort to people who might have faced a lot of persecution for their faith. You You could forgive those people for thinking that maybe God isn't so much in charge, when those people who follow evil get rewarded while those who follow Christ get punished. Whatever it looks like, though, it's not the evil powers of the world that are in control, but God, and the world will be judged accordingly. It is better to take the side of God, even if it is difficult, because he is the only one who can ultimately reward and ultimately judge. The following week, we talked about the beginning of the chapter, Revelation 5. We said that what it means for the scrolls to be opened was that God's plan for the fulfillment of all creation would come true. The passage gave us a second to consider what life would be like if nobody was able to open the scrolls if God's plan and promises to set the world right and bring his kingdom to earth never came true. 
and we consider what our response would have been. Would we have wept like John did? If not, then we would have to think about whether we love and desire the right things. We thought about the new heavens and the new earth and the God who made them are the right objects for our, all our desires and how we need to train ourselves to want the right things. And that brings us to this passage. I've heard somewhere that Revelation is the same, at the same time the book that church members want to hear about the most and also the one that pastors want to preach on the least. <laughs> and a lot of times that's because of passages like this one where there are some very confusing bits. But I think in a lot of cases they're confusing on purpose and they're meant to make you slow down and reflect on what they really mean. In the movie American Psycho, there's this guy who talks and acts like he has everything together. But he's also just a terrible person who does horrible things and that he probably shouldn't talk about in church. Um, at one point, it looks like he's going to get found out for his crimes and go to jail. And so he tries to withdraw a bunch of money at the ATM to make his dead away. He's in a huge hurry, so he looks at the ATM and it says, please insert cat. So he turns around and finds a cat and tries to shove the cat into the ATM's card slot. Obviously, an ATM saying, please insert cat, is an impossible image. And it's supposed to make you think that when you see the world through this main character's eyes, that we're not seeing a reliable representation of reality. We're supposed to slow down and figure out what it all means. And these impossible images have a really similar effect in the book of Revelation. We're supposed to see them and slow down. When you read about, for instance, a lamb looking as if it had been slain, you're not supposed to just skip over that like it's normal. It's not normal, and the author knows it's not normal, but it invites us to slow down and figure out what it all means. So today, we're going to focus on three of these impossible images and talk about what they might mean in this chapter. Uh, the first one, in verse 6, it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, getting past this seven horns and the seven eyes, it says that the lamb was standing as if it had been slain. Okay, exactly how can a lamb stand like it has been slain? Normally, when you look at something and think, that must have been killed, it normally isn't standing. When we remember that the lamb is supposed to be Jesus, it actually makes sense, though. Jesus is the lamb who was, in fact, slaughtered on the cross, but he also rose again. Nowhere else does it make sense for something to stand as if it had been slain. But in this case, it does. It's a clear reminder both of Christ's death and resurrection. And it also makes sense that Jesus would appear as a lamb. Passover was the story of how Israel was liberated from slavery in Egypt. And in the Old Testament, it was considered the most important victory that God won over the powers of evil in this world. To celebrate the Passover and God's victory, the Jews were commanded to prepare a lamb for the feast, to remember how God had spared the children of Israel from the plague of the death of the firstborn. Jesus was crucified on Passover, and in his gospel, John makes a direct comparison between Jesus and that Passover lamb. The lamb is a demonstration of God's greatest victory. So the lamb draws our attention back to themes of God's victory over evil and to freedom from slavery. In verse 9, it says Jesus purchased a people for God. And that's language that would remind the original readers of times where a person would be freed from slavery by being purchased from their owner. We were once slaves to sin and idolatry. And God has freed us from that slavery by purchasing us with his blood. 
we are now his. And through God's victory, we are freed from slavery to our own desires and from sin. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has already won the victory over evil, sin, and death. Death did its absolute worst to Jesus, but it failed to keep him in the grave because God raised him. And now the power of death is absolutely defeated in Christ. And the wounds that he bears from the suffering of his death are only now badges of honor, which remind anyone who sees him of the per most perfect act of love. In the resurrection, it became clear that nobody dies or stays dead except by the permission of God himself, who is completely capable of raising us from the dead. And he's purchased us with his blood so that now we are now his. But we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are sons and daughters of God. And one day he will raise all of his Christian sons and daughters from the dead so we can live with him and live with each other forever. What a comfort to those who give their entire lives to Jesus. For everyone who serves God with their entire lives, they will be given a far greater and more everlasting life in return. Death is not in charge. God is. Now for the second seemingly impossible image. In verse 5 it says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. When we hear the lion of the tribe of Judah, we can totally understand what it would look like for this lion to conquer. He's dangerous. He'll tear anything that begins to threaten him to shreds. This, of all things, seems to make the most sense in this chapter. But when we actually get to look at the lamb, he looks like a lamb that has been slain. Imagine that lamb in your head. He probably has open wounds. Maybe he's only barely standing. What in the world is that lamb capable of conquering? When a Roman general won a really important battle to conquer territory, the Roman Senate would grant him the ability to parade through the city wearing ro royal robes, which is really rare in ancient Rome because they were proud of not having kings. Um, the people would chant, you are worthy, as they were treated to pictures and representations of the people that the general has conquered. Here the angels in heaven are chanting the same thing, you are worthy and you have conquered, but it's for entirely different reasons. They say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you died. You are not worthy because you killed and conquered, but because you died. And with your blood, you purchased a people for God. Jesus really did conquer. He conquered sin and death, and he bears the mark of his victory in this image of the resurrected lamb, standing as if it had been slain. He conquered a people. And that people comes from the kingdom of God, expanded its, which expanded its territory beyond Israel, all the way to Rome and to Greece and to Spain and to India and Ethiopia, and all the way across the world. And that's even by the time this book was written. Why shouldn't the lamb that has been slain be hailed as conqueror and ruler of all? All of this made sense, but consider just how gruesome all these images really are. And consider just how weird it is that all these angels and elders would praise this lamb and lay down their crowns before it. This lamb is not wearing the royal robe of a Roman emperor who is parading around the city in triumph. He's wearing his very own wounds where he was pierced for the sake of his people. He didn't win by shedding others' blood, but by shedding his own blood. Christ won on the cross the greatest victory of all time 
which makes even the Passover just a pale shadow of it. He conquered the world with his own love and self-sacrifice, but nobody would have noticed it at the time. The power of the lamb that was slain is completely different from the power of the rulers of this world, who operate off of the kind of power that comes through violence, intrigue, and self-promotion. One hymn says, by weakness and defeat, he won a glorious crown, trod all our foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. He Satan's power laid low, made sin he sin or threw, bowed to the grave, destroyed it so, and death by dying slew. And if Christ won the greatest victory by being trodden down, if Christ is the ultimate power in this universe, then all true and legitimate power is derived from Christ's power, which comes from giving yourself up in love and service for other people. The kind of power that looks like Rome's power, which comes from swagger and bluster and swords and spears, is illegitimate now and will be judged by God in the age to come. Only that which we have gained by love and self-sacrifice will last. Everything you have and own exists to be given up for those you love, because Christ gave it all up for us. We are called to suffer for those we love because Christ suffered for us. Only then can it make sense that the lamb that was slain is the conqueror. Because he doesn't wear a royal robe or the blood of his enemies as a badge of honor, but his own blood and his own wounds, which he suffered for us. For us Christians, violence, intrigue, and self-promotion are not in charge. The love of God in Jesus Christ is. So that brings us finally to the third impossible image. And this image doesn't look quite as impossible when we first read it. In verse 10 it says, And you have made them, being the church, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. But it does look quite impossible if you put yourself in the shoes of those who were first reading it. If you remember that this was written to a bunch of churches that faced fierce persecution, where Christians were being killed and tortured for staying loyal to Jesus. They lost their friends, and they lost so many relationships because they loved Jesus. And Revelation says, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In fact, a lot of ancient manuscripts don't say the future, they shall reign, but in the simple present, they reign. As in, these persecuted Christians currently reign over the earth. Whatever the case, how can anyone say that these people who are killed for what they believe are the ones that are really in charge? How are they a kingdom and priests? It's at this point that's helpful to remember the image of the lamb that looking as if it had been slain and the lesson that it taught us. The conquering lamb did not conquer by, by slain, but by being slain. Jesus showed us a different kind of power. He showed us a different kind of way to be human. And that's where you don't try and seek every advantage over other people for yourself, but instead you give up your power and honor and love and service to others. That's why the persecuted church was really the king and priests, even though they faced so much cruelty. It was for the same reason that the lamb that was slain was worthy to receive honor and power and wisdom and wealth and might and honor and glory and blessing. Because they represented a kind of power that looked just like Christ did. They loved and they turned the other cheek while standing for what's right, even if it led to severe and harsh consequences. And as Christ's ambassadors on earth, they brought a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of priests 
who actually bring real peace to the world rather than intensifying evil. So even though we don't always face the same kind of persecution they did, we are tasked with the same kinds of things as that church. We serve our community with love, sometimes giving up our own preferences and sometimes suffering unjustly so that others can see that God's kingdom has really broken into this earth in the church. We do everything we can to keep our affection for the people in our community that we serve, and we don't become bitter when they reject the gospel. Because we remember that he who wants to become greatest must become servant of all. Just as Christ was crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering, of his death on behalf of his people. And this is hard work sometimes. Because it goes against our nature, and it talks about a different kind of power than the power we normally see at work around us. But when we do our best to obey God anyway, and when we send up our prayers and groanings to God, we can know that God is pleased with our efforts because they have been cleansed by Christ himself. We can know that, in verse 9, our prayers to God are the sweet-smelling incense that God enjoys even on his very throne in heaven. So let's pray to God now, knowing that our prayers are coming to God on his throne. Our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, you have purchased us with your great suffering and pain, and so now we are yours. Give us wisdom today so that we could see how your power is at work in this world, and help us to join in wherever we can find you. Amen.